Welcome back to the Mint Podcast. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to GPA Resus. This is our third uh, GPA Resus for the year and our second on podcasts form. Today, the whole crew returns. So we've got Lauren Burke. Hello. We've got Vicky. Vicky's here. Hey, guys. We've got Helena. Hi, everyone. And we've got Townsville's favourite intern, Ramesh. Hey, mate. Hey, guys. Good, man. Good. So last week, our topic was upper GI bleed. And thanks for everyone for tuning in um, for that last one and giving that one a listen. This week, we're going to be covering some endocrine topics. So this podcast is going to be a two-parter. We're breaking it in half. So the first one's going to be about thyroid um, and neck masses. And then the second part of this podcast will be about the parathyroid and the adrenal gland. So before we kick off, we have to start with a little disclaimer, is that this is simply peer-to-peer teaching. um, And the the recording today has not been made in conjunction with any JCU lecturers or examiners. um, and, And what we talk about today is in no indication of what may or may not be coming up in your exams. So without further ado, I'll hand it over to... Uh, Ramesh. All right. Thanks, Hamish. Um, So we're going to do endocrinology today. So I thought we'd just start off with the thyroid gland. Um, So I guess it's always nice to start off with a case. Um, So we have a 27-year-old female who comes in with weight loss and palpitations. Um, We're doing an endo podcast. So uh, Victoria, what what, what do you think? What comes to your mind when a patient like this comes in? Oh, sounds a bit like thyrotoxicosis to me. A uh, patient with hyperthyroidism, I'd say, right? Yep. Um, and then what, what exactly is that? What does that mean? Yeah, so thyrotoxicosis, it's pretty much the clinical, physiological, and biochemical findings, and they occur in response to elevated thyroid hormone levels. So patients generally get sympathetic nervous system overactivity and you might see a patient who's rather sweaty with a tremor and tachycardia. Okay, cool. Um, and sort of what, what are some common causes for this sort of syndrome? Uh, the most common ones are Graves' disease, multinodular goiter, and also toxic adenoma. But then you get the other ones like uh, thyroiditis, um, you can also get iodine-induced thyrotoxicosis as well. All right, cool. Um, so what would you sort of want to look for on history when this patient comes in? Uh, yeah, so I've got a pretty neat little mnemonic that I normally use, uh, so thyroidism. Uh, and you can break that down into T for tremor, H for heart rate elevated. So patients might come in with new onset atrial fibrillation. They might complain about palpitations, experiencing that in their chest. Um, and they happen because of the stimulatory effects of the thyroid hormone on the, hormone on the myocardium. And um, the why then is for yawning. So these patients are generally quite fatigued. And, and you could ask about insomnia. Um, R for restlessness, then O, oligomenorrhea or amenorrhea, so um, infrequent or no periods. Eyes for intolerance to heat, so they might um, be particularly susceptible to the uh, hot conditions. Um, D for diarrhea, but it's more so when you get increased frequency of bowel movements known as hyperdefecation. Uh, I for irritability, S for sweating, 
and then M for muscle wasting. So you can ask this um, in a way like, is it difficult getting out of a chair? Um, and that sort of speaks to the proximal muscle weakness. Um, also weight loss, um, despite increased appetite as well. Uh, a few other questions you can ask. So medication-wise, amiodarone can actually cause hypothyroidism in some cases because of the large quantities of iodine. So that's known as iodine-induced thyrotoxicosis. Um, and then thyroxine, whether they're taking the hormone replacement. Um, and some patients do this as an attempt to lose weight. Uh, other questions you can ask, are like whether they've had thyroid problems in the past. Uh, it's uh, quite common for people with autoimmune diseases to develop thyroid problems. So Graves' disease is a common one. Um, and whether they've had recent exposure to iodine, so contrast, um, any problems with their eyes as well. So ophthalmopathy, so you've got double vision, whether they're getting grittiness in their eyes or if there's any redness or pain. Um, another one is exertional dyspnea. So congestive cardiac failure can be precipitated in the older patient um, by thyrotoxicosis. Back mm. to you, Ramesh. Yep, so um, a history um, OSCE case for a thyroid issue is quite um, pretty fair game and there's a lot of things that you can hit. Um, so if you hit all of them, you'll do really, really well. So that's a good acronym you've got, Victoria. So that's great. Great. So um, after history comes examination. Um, what sort of things can we look for on exam? Okay. So um, for a hyperthyroid patient, just similarly to how this patient presented, you want to look for any weight loss um, and also check for any tachycardia, AF, or a collapsing pulse. Their blood pressure might be elevated and they might be tachypnic as well. Um, often they have more moist skin with a fine tremor and palmar erythema. Um, and eyelid lag as well with uh, some lid retraction. So sometimes they also have a goiter as well. And that's, um, you can check for Pemberton sign if they have any neck mass. So that's where you have them lift their arms over their head and wait for a minute. And they might have facial plethora, cyanosis, inspiratory strider and distension of the neck veins. So this is where they have, this is due to them having any thoracic inlet obstruction. Um, if their hyperthyroidism is due to Graves' disease, you also can see um, what we call thyroid acropachy, which is also another term for clubbing that you can see. That you might also um, notice that they have some proximal myopathy and hyperreflexia as well. Great. So um, history and examination for um, high thyroid levels is quite fair game and they're very good cases to sit because there's lots of criteria you can hit and do well in. So make sure you consult Tally when um, you're studying for this. Um, just to make sure you've got everything on board. Um, so after our history exam, we go on to investigations. Uh, what sort of things can we look for to sort of confirm a diagnosis of excess um, uh, thyroid production, Victoria? Yeah, so uh, starting with bloods, you can uh, get levels for the serum thyroid hormones. So that's the TSH, your T3 and T4. Uh, they, they present differently in primary versus secondary hypothyroidism. So in primary, while you'll have a low thyroid stimulating hormone, you'll actually have elevated T3 and T4. And in secondary hypothyroidism, the T3 and T4 is up and also the TSH as well. 
for different conditions, you can have um, increased autoantibodies. So you're che checking for antithyroid peroxidase, checking for antithyroglobulin antibodies, as well as the thyroid receptor antibodies. Uh, Graves' disease in particular, you'll get elevated thyroid receptor antibodies, and these are of the stimulatory type. So um, they're also known as TSIs or thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins. Um, other than that, you've got your full blood count. So that might show a microcytosis sort of picture. Uh, lipid studies, uh, they might have a decreased LDL cholesterol. LFTs, you can get uh, a different interesting sort of picture with increased ALT, GGT, and ALP. Um, CMP might show slightly raised calcium. And on the ECG, so moving on to uh, some of the bedside tests, you could see tachycardia, atrial fibrillation, or even pictures of a left ventricular hypertrophy. Um, these patients also may have increased risk of having other autoimmune diseases, so an autoimmune screen can be considered. Great. And then, um, so after our bloods, um, what if there was a mass in the neck? What sort of things could we do for them? Yep. So you've examined the patient and now you've characterized the gland as much as you can, um, but something else you can do is also image it with thyroid ultrasound. So that will give you a size of the gland. It will differentiate between whether the mass there is solid or if it's cystic. Um, and while you're at it, um, it, they can facilitate an FNA or a fine needle aspirate. Um, that can be used then for cytology, for the pathologist to interpret um, whether those cells are benign or malignant um, or else they can do a core biopsy, which is uh, more of a histology sort of test okay apart from that there's the thyroid scan so you've got your technetium scan um, so this is injected into your veins and then the scintillation camera is used to image the thyroid uh, you don't do this in pregnancy though it's a contraindication in that case uh, so uh, the technetium is uptaken in different ways depending on the different sort of hypothyroidism the patient has. So for example, in a patient with toxic multinodular goiter, they'll have irregular or heterogeneous um, areas of uptake. Graves' disease, however, they'll have diffuse enlargement of both the thyroid lobes and a uniform uptake of the isotope. Um, if you've got a thyroid nodule that you're worried about, um, you use this scan to differentiate between a cold or a non-functioning nodule and a functioning or a hot nodule. So the hot nodules, they um, have a very low chance of being malignant. Uh, so in these cases, you want to just treat the hyperthyroidism. However, if you find a cold nodule, uh, there's actually a 5% chance of malignancy. So further workup is required. Um, and so then you go on to do your ultrasound, you go on to do that fine needle aspirate or your core biopsy, and you may need to do a CT scan as well. Great. Okay. And then, um, after we sort of established, um, our diagnosis, how can we sort of help these patients? What treatment can we give them? Yeah, so the goal is to achieve a euthyroid state. Um, so patients with a small goiter and mild hypothyroidism, they might actually undergo remission on antithyroid drugs alone. So that's about 50% of cases who present like that. 
Um, and once they're in remission, you slowly taper the medications and stop. So medication-wise, the antithyroid ones, we can use our carbimazole, and that's first line. The other one is propylthiouracil, and this is second line, but it's been associated with severe liver injury, so it's less so used. Um, if a patient's symptomatic, for example, they're getting palpitations, uh, we would recommend beta blocker therapy um, and use that until the antithyroid drugs have taken effect and return the patient to a euthyroid state. Um, apart from that, there's radioactive iodine ablation. So it's first line in a patient who's not pregnant um, and has a small goiter. And it's uh, also used second line in patients who relapse after long-term therapy with the antithyroid drugs. Um, and if it's found that this is actually a malignancy which is causing the hypothyroidism, radioiodine therapy is used or a thyroidectomy, which may be a hemithyroidectomy or total. So in terms of surgical management, um, what sort of things should we know, um, Lauren? Yeah, so surgical management is particularly high yield for exams. For example, a um, consenting of a thyroidectomy would be a really good case for them to run. I guess the main things you should know are like the main indications for why you would do a thyroidectomy. So you wouldn't do it if it's cancer. Um, if, it's if you've done all these treatment options and the condition is refractory to medical treatment. If you've got a suspicious nodule or a toxic multinodular goiter, also a good reason. And the final one is um, any cosmetic reasons. There's also some really specific complications that are associated with thyroidectomy surgery, um, which are often split into early and late, and then you also have your gen surge complications as well. But I guess the high yield points are um, after a thyroidectomy, um, you need to be aware that um, the patient's at risk for um, hematoma at the site. In that case, um, they will always have a thyroidectomy kit near the bedside of these patients, and you would have to um, take out the sutures and basically go back to theatre and um, drain the um, hematoma. Other things, um, laryngeal edema, um, hypocalcemia, and also the nerve damage, which is particularly specific for recurrent laryngeal nerve damage and superior laryngeal nerve damage. We won't go into the details, but again, super high yield for exams. Right, so thanks, Lauren. Um, how about we just hear some pearls about Gray's disease, Hamish? Um, is there anything particularly to know specifically about this condition? Yeah, sure, Ramesh. So we might just not go into the details about Graves' disease, but it's pretty important to know that you're dealing with an autoimmune condition um, associated with circulating TSH receptor autoantibodies. And this leads to the overstimulation of the thyroid gland. Um, and consequently, you get an excess thyroid hormone production. Uh, the best way to remember what happens in Graves' disease, basically, there's a triad that everyone should know. Um, and it's essentially your thyroid toxicosis symptoms plus the ophthalmopathy, uh, plus your pretibial myxedema, so a dermopathy as well. Um, and it's basically more common in females. Uh, it's worthwhile, especially for fourth year, to know the pathogenesis of Graves' disease, um, but it's probably a bit complicated to talk about in podcast form, and I would encourage everyone, especially in fourth year, to go through the pathogenesis in their own time. 
Cool. Thanks, Hamish. Um, I guess we'll take a break from hyper and go into hypothyroidism. Um, so I guess, again, we can just start off with the case again. Um, we have a, a middle-aged female that's uh, coming in with complaints of weight gain and constipation. Um, and she is bradycardic. So what's, what, what sort of things are you thinking of, Lauren, and what would you sort of uh, think could be causing it? Well, Ramesh, as well, given this is an endo case, I think the first thing we'd all be thinking of would be hypothyroidism. Yep, and what, what could be causing uh, this sort of syndrome? Yeah, well, there's quite a few <clears throat> causes of hypothyroidism. I guess the probably the main one is Hashimoto's, um, being the chronic autoimmune thyroiditis. But you can have other causes, like idiopathic atrophy, um, there can be um, particular drugs that can um, induce it, as well as iatrogenic causes, um, including something like we discussed before, like a thyroid post-thyroidectomy um, and radioactive uh, ablation. As again, um, there's also some really specific um, congenital disorders and infiltrative disorders. Yeah, cool. So um, in terms of history, what would we... So I guess in a, on a hypothyroid history, your um, main kind of priorities are to establish other patients having um, the main signs and symptoms we're looking for and B, are there any causes that can be attributable to um, fatigue and weight gain? So I guess screen for other, other symptoms like cold intolerance, constipation, um, dry skin, forgetfulness, um, a hoarse voice, any kind of leg swelling. Um, any change in um, their periods, if they're a female, um, loss of hair and numbness in the hands. And then I guess you'd screen for other particular things like looking for depression, red flags for cancer, um, diabetes, um, and also looking for other complications of hypothyroidism. All right. So that's our history. We'll move on to exam now. Helena, what, what kind of things can we look for? Um, okay, so for hypothyroidism, we've got a lot of non-specific signs that you can look for, which you can probably find in tally. But the main examination signs that you want to look for in hypothyroid patients are myxedema facies, madness, speech, weight, and skin changes. They also can be bradycardic with signs of poor perfusion and neurology signs as well, which includes slow reflexes and carpal tunnel from the myxedema. And they also you can also do a neck, neck exam, which um, you might be able to find a goiter if they have, uh, which is diffuse in Hashimoto's and any other masses. Uh, they could potentially also have pericardial and pleural fusions and congestive cardiac failure. Great. Yeah. So uh, make sure you guys are reading tally and then we'll move on to investigations now. What can we sort of start with? So I can do this one um so i guess in anyone coming in i guess part of your regular screen you probably just start with um just doing a thyroid function test um including tsh t um three and four and then from there you look for specific antibodies um including anti-thyroid peroxidase antithyroglobulin and thyroid receptor antibodies and additionally you want to do some basic bloods including fbc uec lipids and also doing a ECG. Um, I guess as well, if it does come back 
that they're positive for, say, something like Hashimoto's and autoimmune disease. You'd want to screen for other autoimmune diseases as well. And if you detect a mass on exam, then you can follow it up with um, an ultrasound plus minus fine needle um, aspirate plus minus a CT. And then once we sort of establish our diagnosis, well, how can we sort of treat these patients? You just replace the thyroid hormone. So you can give levothyroxine, you start at 50 micro G, which equivalents to about 1.6 micro G per kilogram once daily. And you have to make sure that when you're titrating the dose, um, you have to adjust it every six to eight weeks to give um, enough time to measure the TSH appropriately and so it can balance out. And as well, specifically um, for levothyroxine, just store it in the fridge and make sure the patient's taking on an empty stomach for it to be effective. Yeah. Cool. Um, Hamish, are there any sort of particular things uh, we need to know about um, Hashimoto's um, syndrome? Um, yeah, I mean, Hashimoto's is the most common cause of hypothyroidism in the developed world. Uh, women are going to get it 10 to 20 times more often than blokes. And it's commonly going to be found in the 45 to 65 year old range. Um, essentially there's a breakdown in self tolerance to thyroid autoantigens, uh, and then you get autoantibodies against these thyroid antigens. All right, so I guess we'll move on to um, neck mass in general. Um, Hamish, what do we, how do we sort of approach it? Yeah, thanks, Ramesh. The neck mass is a super common presenting complaint in your GP rooms, and every now and then it'll pop up in med school OSCEs as well. So it's pretty important for every medical student to have a basic clinical algorithm to these patients so that you don't miss any serious pathology. Um, but in order to have a sequence to work through your differentials, you're going to need to know the relevant clinical anatomy of the neck and what pathology you're likely to be looking at in each spot. So you want to know the anatomical triangles of the neck um, and you're going to want to know the lymph node levels um, and where and what each lymph node in the neck um, is sort of draining. So before we go on, it might be a bit helpful to quickly brush up on your anatomy um, of the neck. So once you've done that, and you're familiar with what you're looking at, there are going to be two questions you need to ask yourself about a neck mass. The first one is whether the mass is superficial or is it deep? If the mass is superficial, it's likely to be either, either be a sebaceous cyst or a lipoma. Uh, but then if the mass is deep, you're going to need to distinguish whether the swelling is in the midline or if it's lateral. If the mass is in the midline, you only have a few differentials you're going to need to worry about. And most commonly, if the patient is a little bit older, you are more likely to be dealing with some of the thyroid pathology already detailed here. Um, however, it is also important to consider some other differentials. And there's a massive list of uh, causes of neck swellings and neck masses. Uh, and I'll just quickly run through the ones that everyone should probably know a bit about. So thyroglossal cysts, um, they're the most common congenital neck mass. Um, half of them will present before the age of 20, often in the second decade of life. They're, they're a discrete firm lump and they elevate on swelling or tongue protrusion. And all these are an embry embryological remnant of the descent of the thyroid gland from the base of the tongue to the neck. Um, and these ones are treated with surgical excision of the cyst and the tract. Um, other ones include ranulas, um, dermoid cysts, cystic hygromas. Um, so those are your 
main ones to think about in addition to the thyroid and I'll let everyone sort of read up on those themselves. So that's your midline masses. If the swelling is actually lateral, we can then narrow down our differential diagnosis based on whether the swelling's in the anterior or the posterior triangle. And if we look back on our anatomy, the anterior triangle is bordered by the midline. Then you've got the anterior border of the sternocleidomastoid and a line between the two angles of the mandible. So the anterior triangle, you're looking at branchial cysts, parotid tumors, laryngoceles, and then very rarely your carotid artery aneurysms or your carotid body tumors. Um, in the posterior triangle, you can think about your cervical ribs uh, and your pharyngeal pouches. And then also you need to think in general, in the anterior and posterior triangles, we need to think about lymphadenitis, whether that's bacterial, viral, fungal or parasitic, and then sialadenitis, so obstruction of the salivary ducts due to stones. Um, or alternatively, they can be from viral infections as well. And then also what's been mentioned earlier, your thyroid nodules and your thyroiditides as well. Okay, great. So that's a good differential list. What sort of things would you ask on history? Alrighty. So on history, uh, starting with the age group, so you're looking at different things. If they're a pediatric age group, you're most likely thinking that they'll have an inflammatory or congenital condition. If they're over 40, uh, particularly if they're a smoker as well, you're thinking malignant. Um, so firstly, you can ask about onset and if they're rapid onset and if there's a painful swelling there, it's more likely to be inflammatory or infective in nature. Um, and then you can compare that to a neoplastic uh, mass, which would be more slow um, and be a pro progressively enlarging neck mass. So you can also ask about lymph node enlargement. So if they've had a viral urti or ear, nose, throat infection, then they're more likely to have lymph nodes being their neck mass. Uh, you can also ask about duration. So inflammatory lumps start to settle once the primary infection has started resolving or is being treated. Whereas if a neck lump is present for six weeks, um, then we would likely want to refer them to the ENT for referral. Okay, so associated symptoms on history, if they have a dysphonia or a change in their voice, you may think of a laryngeal cancer as being the cause. If there's uh, dysphagia or adenophagia, so the painful swallowing, um, you might think of a cancer in the pharynx or the esophagus. Uh, if there's infiltration of the cancer elsewhere, they might be short of breath, so movement of that to the trachea or the lungs. Um, you can also ask about weight loss as well um, and also reflux. Social history-wise, always ask about smoking because it's an important risk factor for um, cancer of the upper aerodigestive tract and also about passive smoking as well, which people tend to miss, um, alcohol consumption and also occupational exposure. So betel nuts is a um, big cause of head and neck malignancies. Back to you, Ramesh. All right, so after that, we'll go on to examination. What sort of basic things would you want to look for? Um, so in terms of examination, obviously it depends on the history and the patient's presenting complaint, how you tailor it. And Tally has a really good section on how to do a neck exam. So we won't go into too much detail here, but uh, it's definitely important to have a very good systematic way of approaching a neck exam. So like every exam, you want to start with general inspection, 
whether that patient looks well or unwell, and never forget to look in the ears, nose, and the throat. Then you move down to the neck and examine uh, the triangles and palpate from the front and the back. You also want to do a swallow test, palpate all the lymph nodes, the thyroid gland, and then potentially also want to consider feeling for any hepatosplenomegaly and look for signs of hematological malignancy. Okay, great. So what sort of basic investigations should we consider for a neck clump? Thanks, Ramesh. Yeah, so look, your investigations are, be gonna, are going to be guided by your history, your exam, um, the patient's age, and the size of this lump. Um, you may not need to investigate it at all if the lymph node is sim uh, just simply an inflammatory node from some sort of viral erty or things like that. Uh, but it's important to know that all, all thyroid um, salivary masses are going to need investigations. I don't want to go into too much detail on the investigations of neck lumps themselves, as, as we've talked about. The causes, the causes are lesion, um, and we could talk about it for half an hour, but best things to know are that the best uh, investigation for a neck mass where you don't really know what it's going on or it's a deep mass uh, is a contrast CT. Um, and also it's worthwhile to know that any neck mass in an adult associated with a history of smoking or drinking, any change in the voice, difficulty swallowing, shortness of breath, or any obvious lesion in the upper aerodigestive tract should be referred uh, to an ENT specialist. Thanks, Hamish. Like, that's a really good summary of investigations, and I do agree with you. It's quite complicated. Um, as well, looking thyroid cancers would be worth it for some 50 years. But we're going to tie up the podcast here today. Hopefully it was beneficial for anyone who's listening. Please let us know any feedback. Um, we'd be keen to hear what you guys think. Um, big thanks to everyone involved today. Thanks, Ramesh, for your time and also your help with the info. <laughs> Does everyone want to say bye? <laughs> yes. See you at part two. Yeah. <laughs> Tune in next time for hype for parathyroidism and adrenal gland conditions. Shout out to Eric, our IT guy. Yeah, big shout out to him. Putting He's this together. Thanks, Eric. All right, guys. See you at part two. Oh.